You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello, hello, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL podcast. We are joined today by Mark Schofield, host of Locked On Patriots. Much as we did yesterday, we had a big Rams conversation for two of our three segments. Uh, Mark, what's shaking, man? How are you? I'm doing well, Matt. Great to be with you as always. Um, getting into some Super Bowl mode, doing some Rams Patriots film study the past couple of days because I was down in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl last week, which is always fun. And I will say this was my fourth Senior Bowl, and I finally learned it. It took me four cracks at it that Mobile is a marathon, not a sprint. You've yeah, got to pace yourself. <laughs> it's it's a good time. I think you know where I'm going with this yep. one. So um, I, I I was proud of myself. I behaved like a 42-year-old man. I did not go to the after-hours bar or, for example, the 24-hours bar that some of my other compadres (laughs) did down there at Mobile. So I was home when it was still dark out. I wasn't coming home when it was light out, so I made it through Senior Bowl week. Always a great time down there, though, but now getting to some some Super Bowl stuff. Yeah, I could tell you some stories off the air about that subject, too. So maybe we'll have that conversation at the Combine or something. What happens at Veets stays at Veets. Yeah. (laughs) I like it. I, I forgot to mention that we are the national NFL flagship for the entire Locked On Podcast Network that brings you your team every day, which is the number one local sports daily podcast network in the world. I also urge you guys to check out Locked On NFL Net on Twitter, too. That's really a, a one-stop shop for all your NFL Locked On needs. But I, I didn't plan on talking Senior Bowl, but I did want to do a little bit of quarterback talk before we got to the game. I'm just curious what you think of Locke and Jones. I think Locke had the better week of the two. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at how these guys were viewed before the Senior Bowl, both of these were the potential round one guys. You're hearing Locke maybe doesn't get past, you know, Denver at 10. You're hearing some teams are probably going to make noises for Jones. I think Locke came in and did the things that he had to do. From what I was told, he was great when meeting with teams. From what I saw and heard from him at the podium and in the post-practice scrums, he was fantastic, said all the right things. As far as the play on the field, look, he runs more of a simplified offense, although with Derek Dooley last year, they did some more stuff between the numbers, between the hash marks. Um, his arm slots and release points were better. You could tell he's working on his mechanics. Footwork was better. So I thought he had the kind of week that if you're looking at a guy thinking he's a first-round pick but you want to see some stuff from him, he showed you enough where you can think, okay, I I can see why a team might buy in on him. Jones, I thought, was not good. And I wasn't a fan of Jones coming in. I think he's more of a – look, if you run a West Coast offense – Fine. He's good for that. But if you get into the intermediate and deep areas of the field, he's probably not the guy for you. The Wednesday practice was closed to the media because of weather. Finally got a chance to study it Wednesday night on film. I'll tell you how his seven-on-seven session started. And look, Tuesday is a baseline day, but by Wednesday you should be figuring things out. Seven-on-seven, no pass rush. You're clean, so your thought process, it should be perfect. You should be able to hit these throws because you're basically throwing without any pressure. His first throw, a quick speed out to the left, misses it by three yards. His second throw, a running back check down to the left flat. It was the right read, but he was so slow with it. Pick six going the other way. His third throw, a comeback route along the left left boundary he triple clutches on it stares it down his receiver falls throws it anyway and he's picked that was one of those Maddie. you know these types of moments it was a put the pen down moment but <laughs> not in a good way right right i see what you're saying 
I look at Jones, and you're more advanced on these college guys than I am without question, but I've mentioned this on the show before, that if this is any other year, he screams round three to me. You know, yeah. like, it, it feels like people are manufacturing. He, We need a more another first-round quarterback. He's the best we got, so we're going to put him in the first round. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, I'm, I'm not done grading him, mm-hmm. but he's going to be closer to a third round grade than a first round grade for me. And I, I think that's, you know, probably a fair assessment for a lot of people. I think you've got him pretty much pegged exactly right. I We always have this trend where because of the need at the quarterback position and you look at teams like the Giants, you know, teams like the Jags, teams like Washington, teams like Denver, you know, quarterbacks get pushed up boards. You know, but, but the thing I come back to is with Jones – is Jones in the first round better than, say, a Brett Rippett in the fourth? Like, yeah, you saying, look at right. those two quarterbacks, and it's like, where's the Pounds best value? Right. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm more into the Jones. You know, if this was a draft that had one or two teams that needed a quarterback, he'd probably get drafted in a more appropriate round and position than where he's going to probably end up getting picked. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I have a list here of seven NFL quarterbacks that I think could be changing teams None of them are world beaters, but when I spit their name out, can you give me 30 seconds, two sentences on each? Um, Would you want them? You mentioned the teams. You know, we know who's in the market for these type of guys, the Denvers, the Washingtons, Jacksonville, etc. I'm going to start with Teddy Bridgewater. I like Bridgewater. I, I think, um, you know, more of a quick time and a rhythm based offense. I think he was sort of miscast in North Turner's downfield passing game, although that's what he ran, you know, at Louisville was more of a vertical mm-hmm. offense. But I think you get him in more of a West Coast system. You put him in Jacksonville. You know, I think they've been vertical at times, but I think, you know, he would work in that system. Maybe even New York. I like Teddy. I'm a, I'm a Bridgewater fan. OK, how about Flacco? I think Flacco's a pass at this point in his career. I I think if you're a team that's built to win right now and you just need something at the quarterback position, you know, maybe there's a home for that. I mean, maybe the Giants, if they say, say if the Giants draft a Haskins, but they want one better year, you know, maybe Flacco fits that bill, but you've got Eli, you're probably getting the same kind of production. So he's more of a pass for me. Yeah, I don't have Eli on this list because I think that they will take that approach, that that he'll be back. Um, Tannehill, I do not think will be back in Miami. Tannehill, I don't think he'll be back in, I'm, you know, more in the Flacco camp with Tannehill than I would be, say, the Bridgewater camp. I think we've seen sort of his ceiling as a quarterback, you know, maybe in the right system, maybe more of a West Coast, you know, air raid type system he could work, but I haven't seen enough to make me buy in onto him. Yeah, he was saying. I think we probably agree on this one and he'd be last on my list, but I thought he's going to play somewhere, Blake Bortles. And I thought maybe he's a Panther until Cam Newton gets healthy and you run him around and beat him up. Yeah, I think that could (laughs) work. I mean, he's got a small window where he could be successful, I think, in the NFL right now. We've heard for five, six years now, all the mechanics, they're going to get cleaned up. They never do. The decision-making, the thought process has been what it is. But he's athletic. He's mobile. He can give you some stuff in that offense that's built around what Cam Newton could do with his athleticism. And so, you know, maybe you put him on that roster and he could get you something. Another name to keep in mind for Carolina, if they don't go that route, Tyree Jackson. The kid from Buffalo who was down at the senior oh, yeah, big athletic sure. kid. He can give you stuff in sort of that zone read game, but then he can also give you some explosive throws downfield. But Bortles would make sense in Carolina, and if not, you know, maybe in a flag football league somewhere. <laughs> right. Tyrod. 
Tyrod is one of those guys that I've still been a Tyrod believer. Really? And I think he's sort of one of those guys that is great to have sort of in your organization, in your quarterback room. We can kind of see how he helped, you know, Baker Mayfield along the way. I'm not so sure that he's a starter next year in the league. But I think if you're a team that's looking to transition sort of like the Browns did to a rookie next year, like say Jacksonville parts ways with Blake Bortles, they bring in a Haskins or they bring in a lock. Maybe you sign Tyrod to be that caretaker in case that guy isn't ready week one, and then you transition to him. So I think that might be a route for him. Yeah, I think that's well said. Of all these guys, I think he's the best definition of a bridge guy. And we yeah. just saw it, you know, I yep. mean, right. Um, how about Nick Foles? Obviously, Foles is going to get paid. You get a Super right. Bowl MVP under you. You lead that team to the playoffs. And I think, you know, there's going to be a home for him. I still don't think he's more than the guy that can get you. That I would describe him as a guy that you win with, not like a guy that you win because of. But I'd rather play league, against him than with him. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, because he's he's still going to make some mistakes here and there, and he's not somebody that's going to truly blow the doors off. But again, for those teams that might be a step away, you know, just need the quarterback piece figured out, they're going to throw money at him. I want to. This is my favorite name on the list, and I don't know if he's available or not. They don't need the resources, but if I would much rather spend an early second, if I'm the Giants, on Jacoby Brissett than whoever's going to be sitting there in the draft or reach in the first round if your favorite guy isn't gone. I'm a big Brissette believer. See, Matt, this is why you and I get along so All right, I like it. I wrote actually a couple of months ago going through the options for the Giants over at Big Blue View, and Brissette was one of the names that, that I really threw out there because I loved him when he was coming out of NC State. I liked him in that draft. You know, I think I had him with a QB7, and you say, oh, well, does that mean you really loved him? I liked him for what he was. And then you saw the way he stepped into that situation with the Colts, and you look at that basically 15 games that he started after getting traded late in preseason, basically right before the season started. He fared pretty well, you know, stepping in for Andrew Luck. And so he's also taken on a leadership role. There was that story out of Indianapolis right. where they had that early season slide. And he was the guy that said, look, we got to call a team meeting, get everybody on the same page. Doing that as the backup quarterback. Uh, yeah, I think if you're the Giants and you don't love any of these first round quarterbacks or you get teams that leap ahead of you to get those guys, you wait you spent a second on percent, like you said, spent a third on percent, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, I'm, yeah. What I'd rather him than reaching for maybe a Daniel Jones or, you know, some of the other guys in this class. Yeah, I mean, that would be my favorite outlet if I'm Washington or Denver or whoever these teams are. I'm calling the Colts for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I've told you guys before that the only thing I listen to are podcasts. I mean, sometimes I listen to music when I'm on, when I'm working out. But if I'm mowing the lawn or whatever, I'm listening to podcasts. I'm in the shower, I'm listening to podcasts. And I have a new favorite, and it's called That's Gold. And if you like this show and you listen to podcasts, which you obviously do, you're listening now, you're going to love That's Gold with Steve Heitner. And you may, you may know Steve if you're a Seinfeld fan, as many of you, I assume, are if you're listening to this, and share my sense of humor. It's, he was Jerry's annoying comedian friend, Kenny Banya, who coined the term, That's Gold, Jerry. And on That's Gold, Steve is joined by co-host Rich Johnson to talk about everything you guys love, like sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, music, Vegas. And, and, and they come more than four, five days a week. It's like having a conversations with your buddies at the bar like we do here. But that bar has famous guests to show up and shoot the breeze to talk about all these subjects. So check out That's Gold with Steve Heitner on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. 
We are back, and I want to continue the quarterback talk and just do one segment on your scouting report on Goff and Brady. Pick one. Let's talk about them. Let's start with Goff, um, who was my quarterback one in that draft class. Oh, really? I liked him coming out of California. I had Goff one, Wentz two, and I liked both of those guys. Can I interrupt you super quick? Because I was asked a sort of question yesterday. Has Goff eclipsed Wentz on your value chart right now? And I said no, because I'm smitten with Wentz. I, I love Wentz. No, I, I don't think so. And what's what's fascinating, Matt, and, and you'll understand this given your background, is that even though I loved Goff, I had him won, I loved Wentz, but had him by, behind Goff. If you would ask me the Friday after that first round who was set up for success earlier in their career, I would have told you in a heartbeat that it was Wentz. Oh, right. Because look where he went. You know, he yeah. goes to Peterson. He goes to Frank Reich. He goes. the position in the NFL. So when we rank quarterbacks, we got to remember that we could rank them and we can nail the scouting report side, but the scheme fit and the coaching fit matters more in the end. And, and so I Goff think Wentz was set up situation. to have success. Goff went to an extremely <laughs> tough situation, an extremely tough situation. And luckily you for know, him, I, it took a 180 after year one. But yeah, right. I mean, and, and that's why we're seeing that, look, if you stood on line at a Starbucks with Sean McVay, you're getting a head coach and interview this season because they want anybody that's been close to Sean McVay now to work with their quarterback because that's where we're headed now. I think the thing with Goff that I really liked about him was the footwork in the pocket. He was great at sort of sliding and creating space, similar to the other guy we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. I love the way he threw the ball sort of downfield. I loved his ability to sort of drop in that corner route, that seven route, that toughest route to throw perhaps in all the route tree with that perfect mix of both touch and placement and trajectory, but still enough velocity. I thought in that offense, you know, people say, look, air raid, bear raid type of systems. They don't read stuff. They don't make progression decisions. You know, I had a great conversation with Gardner Minshew from Washington State at the Senior Bowl, and he basically said, you know, look, that Mike Leach, that air raid type offense, you've got four, you've got five progression reads, full field reads. And he looked at me dead in the eye, Matt, and said, it's a lot better than those college-style, pro-style offenses, and he used air quotes. And I literally <laughs> almost fainted because I'm like, yes, man, you get it. You're exactly right. Good stuff. And so Goff had that in him when he came out of Cal. And so I think what we're seeing with him now is obviously McVay has done a tremendous job at tailoring an offense to some of his strengths and some of what he does well. And, you know, McVay has come from that sort of Jay Gruden school of thought where you give your quarterback some half field concepts mirrored or not and give him half of the field to read. They build so much off of that outside zone play action stuff. And it's worked to sort of speed up his decision-making process. The one thing that I think needs to be drilled into the heads of the Patriots defensive backs this week is exploit the hesitation. There are still times on film where he will be so slow with his read and he stares it down so long that you can just jump routes. He had two picks in particular. You know, one I believe was against the Chargers. I might have that wrong. Another was against the Rams. It might have been the Eagles. I mean, one was definitely against the Bears. One might have been against the Chargers, the Eagles, where he had the route, he was looking at it, and then it's two seconds, three seconds, and then finally the ball comes out, and by then you're dead. You know, if you stare at a route, if you stare at a receiver for three seconds, you're dead, and the Patriots will have some opportunities on Sunday for picks. As for Brady? Let's let's stick with Goff just for a couple minutes, just for a second here. And I think you nailed it. I, I very much agree with what you said. And unlike his rookie year, he gets away with some of his 
issues holding the ball because his line is so good. Play action freezes people, freezes the pass rush, freezes, freezes the linebackers, and the scheme does help him a lot. But I also think he gets a little probably too much heat of he's a system quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I've I've long said it, look, I'm a Patriots guy, so I've mm-hmm. got a decade and a half of honing my arguments against the system quarterback tag. Believe me. I think all quarterbacks are system quarterbacks. It gets to what we were just talking about. Some quarterbacks are just more scheme diverse than others. And you need to identify a quarterback and tailor an offensive system that works for him. You know, with golf, with Brady, you know, if it's identifying quick reads, giving them some help pre-snap and them going out and executing that, it doesn't mean that they're only a product of a system it means that the head coach or the offensive coordinator have just done a good job of identifying what they do well and then get putting them in a position to go out and execute it this is a league where more and more teams need to identify what players do well and put them in those positions to succeed yeah it's called good coaching yeah (laughs) right brady is probably a little easier eval but at this stage of his career what do you see in from What's amazing about Brady is, and we're recording this here on Tuesday, I literally just got done putting together a 17-video thread on Twitter that people could check out at Mark Schofield, going through basically his entire season and showing you some of what he still does well, some of what McDaniels does to help him, some route concepts to look for on Sunday. And McDaniels, similar to McVeigh, does a tremendous job of using motion pre-snap to give Brady pre-snap indicators. You know, so many times, there's, there's a reason Tony Romo is able to call out play designs it's because he sees what we're all seeing they use motion and then you see how the defense adjusts you know man versus zone and then you have a good idea of where you're going to go with the football because you can identify the coverage pre-snap just because you have perhaps the greatest quarterback of all time doesn't mean you don't help him McDaniels does a great job of helping Tom Brady he can still make throws with velocity and placement has the arm velocity dropped off of it perhaps but he never had the overpowering arm if he did he would have got picked before 199 You know, Brady wins with his eyes and he wins with his mind. You look at that week six game, for example, against Kansas City. He had two vertical routes in the second half of that game. One to Hogan on a third and one when they were down by three and one to Gronk on that final drive to put them in position to kick the game winner. In both of those, Chiefs were in cover one, man free, single high, whatever you want to call it. He moved that free safety away from the trips. Again, away from the three receiver side to then come back and throw the vertical route to the trips. When you can get defenders to go against what they've been taught to do with your eyes, you're going to win as a quarterback. And that's how Brady still does it at this time in his career. Yeah, it's well said. And back to the whole system quarterback nonsense. I mean, if you ask Tom Brady to take five and seven step drop after five and seven step drop and his, that group of receivers to win isolation routes, they wouldn't score any points, you know. No. Like, you know, that's no right. I mean, if if Tom Brady gets drafted into a North Turner offense, Tom Brady is now the best insurance salesman in the suburbs of San Francisco. It's that simple. Yeah. That's not what he's built to do. But if you put Tom Brady into a quick strike, time in a rhythm based offense where he has to win with his mind, he's gonna go on and be the goat. Yeah, and his competitiveness is unreal, of course, too. And I'm a big believer that, like Michael Jordan, you know, that if yeah. you Hate losing is better than loving winning. And I think he exemplifies that as well. One other Brady note that I've mentioned here, I just wanted to see if you agree with me, because it really isn't holding water lately because he's playing so well to finish up the season. But around week 11, week 12, I was asked, you know, hey, is Brady done or is he declining? And one thing I did say at that point was 
his low light reel, you know, the, the bad plays, was bigger than it has been in other seasons. I'm right there with you on that. And I think if you want to make the case that Tom Brady is, you know, sort of declining a bit and, you know, that where he is now might put him more as, say, QB 7, 8, 9, 10 in the league as opposed to QB 1 or 2, I think I'm okay with that because if you're talking about a quarterback about to turn 42 this August that is just going to still be a, you know, a lower tier top 10 quarterback, I think that's okay. You look at, for example, but he's playing that, like one or two in the, he's champ, playing in like the playoffs, one or two right? right? Now. Yeah. You know, I, I think there are a couple of things at work. I do think that there was an injury issue. You know, there was a lot mm. of talk about that in the Boston area. There was a thought that, look, maybe he's dealing with an MCL. I talked to the chief of orthopedic surgery at Tufts Hospital up in Boston who said he was dealing with something in that knee. You saw in week 16 he had a couple drops into the pocket where he got some pressure. I remember Kyle Williams looping around on a stunt, and he really protected and guarded that left leg and that front leg. And so there might have been that, and maybe he's healthy right now. But if you look at that Miami game, the decision he made in, at the end of the first half, thinking they still had a timeout, you know, taking a bad sack. They missed points there. The picky through against Pittsburgh, which I know you saw that head scratcher. Right. Decision. Yeah. There were some curious throws and decisions and reads that he made that were very unbrady like. And I think that gets exactly to your point, Matt, where some of the lows might be lower than we've expected. Just you go more back to them. weeks. Yeah, you go back to week six, he has a really bad strip sack fumble against the Chiefs where Tom Brady suddenly thinks he's Lamar Jackson back there. And it's like, Tom, this isn't you. Like, this is something you've never done. You should have either been throwing it away by now or just turtling and taking a sack because you're not cutting and tucking and moving and dancing back there like you think you can. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, we are going to take a quick break, and then we're going to wrap this third segment up with a little bit of X's and O's for Sunday uh, great matchup, of course. We will be right back. All right, folks. I want to tell you about a new sponsor to the show, but one I've been familiar with for quite a while there, NFL Nation, and that is Low-K-E. So you need a little extra swag for game day. Get it, in, you know, for the Super Bowl coming up. Low-K-E has your back with a brand-new game day collection. If you haven't heard that name before, well, now you have. This company is amazing, and me personally, I've been rocking their bracelets for a few years now, as is my wife, and it's a bracelet with an amazing message and also supports incredible causes. The Low-K-E bracelet comes in your team's colors, you know, if you want black and gold, whatever, your, your choice, you know, and holds water from Mount Everest, the highest point on Earth, and mud from the Dead Sea, the lowest point on Earth. It's a daily reminder to stay balanced during life's highs and lows. Pretty cool. <clears throat> and no joke, I've been wearing the same one on my wrist now for over three years, as has my wife. We both picked these up a while back. It's an awesome message, which personally helps me you know, focus during the good and challenging times of my life. Since Low-K-E is friends of the show and they are offering you an exclusive discount of 25% off all game day collection bracelets... You got to do it. You know, guys, trust me. I've been a fan of theirs for years. This is the best deal. So use my promo code LOCKEDON25, all one word, 25, when checking out, and boom, you can thank me later, man. So go to LOKAI.com, use our promo code LOCKEDON25. Again, that's LOKAI.com with my promo code LOCKEDON25 to take advantage of this outstanding deal. 
All right, all right, we are back. And as we finish up today's episode, I want you to tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On NFL and get the national news on an NFL or Locked On Fantasy Football to get all your fantasy and daily fantasy updates. Tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On NFL. We are back with the host of Locked On Patriots, which I assume you are listening to all week and you will then be hooked on it. And there's a lot more talk than just Patriots on Mark's uh, podcast, of course. But we're going to focus now on this game. And I want you to give me one thing that our fan base should key on when each team has the ball. What's a one key that kind of sticks out in your mind? Let's start with when the Rams have the ball. When the Rams have the football, you know, there's the hesitation issue with golf, which I just talked about. But the other thing to sort of Matt watch for is Trey Flowers, number 98, mm, edge defender for the New England Patriots, who is going to probably get a huge payday this offseason. One of the things that the Patriots love to do with him is move him around up front. He's not a guy that's going to stick on, you know, the outside shoulder of the tackle and just edge rush from the outside. They love their sort of amoeba or radar alignment where they'll go light, they'll go, you know, nickel, dime dollar but they'll slide him inside against the minnesota vikings back in week 13 they kicked him in over the center and he was winning some one-on-one matchups and getting quick pressure on Kirk cousins against the chargers in the division round they kicked him in over the guard against michael um, michael schofield who was having some pass protection problems this year and they no got relation him. right no relation I, <laughs> you know, if there were i would own it but no relation yeah avery williamson um, is not my brother either there you go there you go um <laughs> But, you know, Schofield had had some protection problems this year, so they slid him inside there, got him some favorable one-on-ones, and he was able to get, you know, Phillip Rivers off his spot. So when the Rams have the football, one, you get to watch with Trey Flowers. Another thing to watch is J.C. Jackson. You know, who is he going to cover? You know, because we, we talked about him and the growth of him since, say, you know, that Steelers game back in week 15. He's, he's become sort of their number two corner. Do you see him, you know, probably not on a cook, so they do like him. You know, maybe he goes on Woods or you might see, you know, Gilmore on Woods. So sort of the cornerback wide receiver matchups when the Rams have the football, as well as Trey Flowers. Those are some of the things I'll be watching for. Yeah, I, I don't see an obvious matchup for Gilmore or I'm real curious right. how they handle that. Uh, and yeah, because you know, you, you know this Matt. usually what they've done is taken their best corner and put them on wide receiver two and then taken their mm-hmm. number two corner, put him on wide receiver one with dedicated safety help. They used to do that a ton. They've gotten away from that last year, partly because they trust JC Jackson. You look at the AFC championship game. If you would have told me, Matt, back in August, that undrafted, free agent, rookie corner, J.C. Jackson would be covering Travis Kelsey one-on-one in the AFC Championship game, I would have had flashbacks to Julian Edelman covering Anquan Bolden at the end of an AFC Championship game, <laughs> and I would have reached for the vodka. But we saw it, and it worked. It, it, so they trust both of these guys where they don't feel like they need to dedicate safety help or anything like that. They'll sometimes be happy with just playing sides and not traveling. Yeah, I, I, they they might be have that luxury at this point, which would be a really nice situation. One thing I think that we're going to see a lot of when the Patriots have the ball is I think not they they do this anyway, but I think they want to keep the Rams in their in their base packages. I think they want four defensive backs on the field. Phillips becomes a little more predictable. I think they can wear them down. What are you looking for when New England has the ball? Yeah, I mean. I think that's a brilliant point, Matt. And we've seen this from Josh McDaniels over the years. First of all, they've become a 21 personnel team. Mm-hmm. 
a lot this year with, you know, Sony Michelle running behind James Devlin. So we're obviously going to see them use that. We saw it on the opening drive of the AFC Championship game, that seven, eight-minute drive just right down the field, working some clop, making Mahomes a spectator. But they've also got the flexibility where you might see some 21 personnel packages with – you know, Burkhead and White on the field or Burkhead and Michelle on the field. And so now you force, you know, Phillips into a situation. Does he go base with that? And if so, maybe they go tempo like they've done in the past. You can, you know, flex one or both of those guys out. And now you've got five wide against the base package and you're going to get some favorable matchups. Do they go light? Do they anticipate you'll do that? And then you could run the ball. These are the kinds of matchup things the Patriots have done in the past that they might be able to do with the stable of running backs that they have if they want to dictate defensive personnel, which both of these offensive guys do. McVay does a great job with you know using 11 personnel and dictating that you go light and then running girly against those light boxes. McDaniels can do it well. You go, he goes 21, you stay in base. Then you've got you know James Devlin out there on the boundary running hitch routes against the linebacker and getting you five, six, seven yards of pop on easy throws yeah it'll be really interesting to see how Phillips what he calls white do you call white a wide receiver or do you call him a running back that's a dilemma he, he presents last thing I got for you and, and I, I like the running back conversation I do think we'll see all three of them well four if you count Devlin what do you think of Sony Michelle as a receiver because I ask this because when he's on the field now it's become somewhat of a tell that they're going to hand him the ball but I wonder with two weeks to prepare they buck the trend a little bit. I, I think so because I liked his ability as a receiver coming out of Georgia. I did too. I mean, but I, we haven't I, seen I think it. That we haven't seen it, you know, because and partly it's because of the ability of both Burkhead and White out of the backfield that, you know, you kind of trust them as receivers. You trust them in pass pro, maybe a little bit more than Sony Michelle, although Michelle's been very good at times in pass protection this year. Um, but I think, you know, sometimes when you get into a Super Bowl, you see something new. You know, a team shows you a little twist or a little tweak or, or something new that you haven't shown throughout the season. And maybe they get White involved in the past game. A couple of screens here and there, you know, flex them out a little bit because they've been somewhat predictable in mm-hmm. terms of run versus pass, whether it's White or Michelle in the game. And, you know, and if you see a situation where they come out 21 personnel and it's a package of Devlin and, and Michelle, you know, they might think, OK, we'll go base because they're not going to throw it with this guy in the game. And then they come out and throw it and they try to really sort of get you to start double guessing yourself. And so I think that's a very good point. If they want to get away from that predictability, you got to involve Michelle in the past game a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he's capable. He's certainly athletic enough. Didn't catch a ton of balls at Georgia, but I do think that ability's there and maybe they've been holding it back for a certain big game. Yeah. I mean, and you know, sometimes we see things that we, you know, like I said, we, we haven't seen in a Super Bowl. I mean, we knew about sort of the NASCAR speed package going into 42, you know, but it just terrorized the Patriots. And so there will always be that little tweak. You get an extra week to prepare. You've got guys that eat, sleep, football. You know, we just saw the, the Peter King story about, you know, Sean McVay driving to the facility at 430 in the morning. I mean, <laughs> these guys are going to have something up their sleeve to, you know, show the other team. You know, we're going to see some interesting tweaks and some interesting changes and mixes and new things from each game plan, I'm sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, everyone needs to ch- check out Locked on Patriots, of course, as well as the entire Locked on Network. Mark, where else can they find you? I know you're busy with a lot of things. I am going to check out that tweet you mentioned with Brady here in a moment. 
Yeah, Matt. Always, man. Thanks for having me on. And you know, we've been teasing it a little bit, but I think we'll be talking a little bit more once yeah. we get into the off season. And I'm really excited about that because you know you do such great work here on, on Locked On NFL. You just crush it every single day. As for me, at Mark Schofield on Twitter, the Locked On Patriots podcast, inside the pylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, the Score, Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio, Big Blue View. Those are some of the places that you can catch my work. Good stuff. Folks, that's a wrap. We will be back tomorrow with Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus. We will break down Super Bowl with him as well as some college stuff. He just put out his list of free agents too, so there's a lot to discuss with him. That is a wrap over and out.